Again, um, I hope you haven't forgotten my name. It's Young. Um, two quick things. Um, I, I was asked to announce that there are still some openings in Amazing Graceland. There are 12 in the first hour, 13 in the second, and four uh, in Truth Trek. Now, that means, guys, everybody ready for this? On Sunday morning, there will be 12 classes will be closed um, in the two hours combined. Uh, gang, it's just an ongoing full adult, uh, commitment on our part not to have those classes open until they're staffed adequately. So 12 classes are going to be closed Sunday morning. Just keep that uh, before you. Hey, guys, before I get going, I also want to do something I haven't done yet, and, and I should have done perhaps uh, before now. Um, there is a woman who is a member of this congregation who has been serving the Lord Jesus in Brazil I, gosh, I don't know, 15 years. Um, you know, I know I went down there, seems like 15 years ago. And she's come home for a, a year off uh, while her daughter graduates from Briarcrest. If you've never, I mean, she probably doesn't need any introduction to you people, but if you've not met Donna Faircloth, um, just a precious sister. And she's here tonight. And Donna, there, stand up and just so that people will know who you are. That's Donna Faircloth back there. <clears throat> It's good to have her back for a year. Sorry to see her go when she has to go. But um, if you ever want to take a great mission trip, go see Donna. Hey, guys, um, um, normally uh, when we resume in the fall, I always tell a story. And I haven't told this story in several years, and so I'm going to tell it again. Um, it's, it's brief, um, but it, it, it answers the question, why do we study the Bible? Why are we here? What did we gather for? Why, did, why, do, we, uh, why do we do this? Why do we keep these lights on on Wednesday night? Uh, why do we do this? And here's the story, and many of you have heard me tell this story before, but it's, it's such a good little story. Actually, it's a Steve Brown story. It's, a, it's about a Marine uh, drill sergeant who um, uh, was uh, working with a particular group of raw recruits and uh, over on Paris Island. I mean, he was just giving them, you know, giving them hell for, you know, whatever it is, six weeks or whatever it is. It just, just really a, a rough, rough, tough guy. And uh, they came to the graduation ceremony on the last day, and um, uh, the, the Marine sergeant said um, to his recruits, he said, now, today is our final, your final test. He said, you see that field out there? Uh, well, it's, and they said, yeah. And they, he said, well, it's full of minefields. But today, it's different. It's different from in the, in, the, in the past, in the past six weeks. Because in the past six weeks, those minefields out there were just firecrackers. But today, today they're real. They're the real thing. You touch one of them, then it's going to blow you to smithereens. And the ammunition that's going to be shooting over your heads while you're, you know, squirming through under those wires and all, that's real ammunition. You lift up your head, and, and you're going to get shot, and you're going to get your head blown off. And so you're sitting there, and you're thinking, as a raw recruit, well, <laughs> Sergeant, could you, could, you, could, you possibly tell us, uh, could you possibly tell us where the minefields are out there? And he says, oh, no, no, I can't do that, because that's part of the fun. Well, guys, here's the point. Why do we study the Bible? We study the Bible, ladies and gentlemen, because life is full of minefields. Things out there that are ready to blow you to smithereens. Difficulties in your marriage, difficulties raising kids, difficulties at work, difficulties with health, finances, um, you name it. This world, it just gets rapidly more complex, does it not? And one of the reasons that we study this book is because we, we, we believe that it steers us through the minefield. 
It gives us a way to avoid some of those things that want to blow us to smithereens. That's why we study this. That's why it's important that we meet here every Wednesday night to do so. So take your copy and get your telephones out. And um, if you brought your telephone, shame on you. Um, you need one. You know, you need a Bible, not a telephone. You know. Uh, but anyway, well, wherever it's found, um, mine's in my hand. Yours can be on that little screen there. Uh, but we're in Romans chapter 15, and, and I got some, I guess this is good news for you. It appears, uh, Lord willing, that we will probably uh, finish Romans by the end of spring. Um, uh, that means that we started in 1999. Um, I mean, we did. Um, but we can do two chapters, 15 and 16, in this these two semesters. And here's the reason why. If you'll notice in uh, chapter 16, it's a lot of greetings and salutations. Paul is saying goodbye to people. I mean, there are just long verses that are nothing but to greet Ampliatus, my beloved, uh, greet Urbanus, you know, that greet Appel. Uh, it's just a lot of that stuff. So we'll fly through those. I mean, in fact, I, I, you know, we'll probably take a whole paragraph in a night. Um, but, um, so it looks like we can, we, we can finish up um, because these, as he closes off this, this letter to the, Ro- to the Roman church, uh, these last two chapters are not as meaty as what you would find in those other chapters that we've spent so much time on. But tonight we come back to chapter 15, um, where we begin in verse 1, and we actually resume the subject that we looked at all year last year. I want to read you verse 1 and just give you some bad news. Um, uh, he says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Do you remember, guys, that's what we, that's, this time last year, we were opening this whole subject in chapter 14. The whole idea of the relationship of the strong to the weak. That is, in the Christian community, there are people who are theologically, spiritually strong, and then there are others who are spiritually, theologically weak. And Paul identifies himself as one of the strong ones, but what, uh, but th- this is a continuation of that same argument that he began in chapter 14. And it really never should have been separated from chapter 14. These, at least the first, um, seven verses should still be in chapter 14. And, and, and you do know, don't you, that, uh, the, the division in the chapters and the versification, that's just completely arbitrary. Paul did not write in verses. He did not write in chapters. This is done by an editor. It was done by one editor years ago or centuries ago and it's just kind of stuck. But chapter 15 is a continuation of the same themes of chapter 14. Um, in the eyes of the Apostle Paul, he says, the strong, and he uses a word, dunatai, which is, um, which is a word from which we get our, our, our English word dynamite. He says, the strong are those uh, who are to make concessions to the weak. We'll get to that. But uh, the strong are the people who are not enslaved, by useless law living. Those who have been um, entangled and their souls strangled by a bunch of non-essential gibberish that has somehow risen to the level of being law. For instance, you know that the Bible teaches that you shouldn't drink a glass of wine. No, it doesn't, ladies and gentlemen. It doesn't teach that. 
But those things and dozens others have risen to the, to the level of, of law in some places. And Paul is saying, if you're still enslaved by that stuff, you're considered the weak. Okay? He considers himself the strong. Consequently, the whole, the whole idea is freedom and those who love it. That is, theological, biblical, spiritual freedom is a mark of spiritual strength. Uh, now, misused, of course, as we discussed ad nauseum last spring, freedom misused becomes license and nobody's in favor of that. But ladies and gentlemen, Paul begins, or he continues his argument by saying, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. The strong who enjoy their freedom in Christ are under obligation to bear with all of you legalists out there. That's, that's the thrust of this, and we're going to look at it. We're going to look at it for another week or so. But tonight, <laughs> you know, y'all make fun of me. I know you do. You go home and you say, he spent since 1999 in the book of Romans. What is the matter with him? Well, if you think it's been bad heretofore, tonight, we're going to concentrate on one word. One word. And then we'll come back to the other words in verse 15. But tonight, we are going to concentrate on one word. It's the word. Want to guess? Yeah. <laughs> Wrong. Obligation. Obligation. Now, guys, let me tell you this first. In the, um, in the Greek language... Um, there was several different ways of, um, of emphasizing things. Several different ways of emphasizing... No, no, no. In the English language today, there's several different ways of emphasizing things. You can italicize it. You can, uh, you can draw a line under it. You can put it in quotes, et cetera, et cetera. But in the Greek language, there was only two ways that you had to, to make emphasis of something. Number one, you could repeat it. When the Bible says, Lord, Lord... I mean, that's emphasis. And, and by the way, I've, I've drawn this to your attention before. Only one time in the Bible is anything taken up to the third, uh, the third level. Is anything repeated and then repeated again. And it is holy, holy, holy. That's the only time that you ever find. But, but it's done for emphasis. But when something is says, Lord, Lord, or Absalom, Absalom, or my son, my son, that's all, that, that's the, on, on the part of the author, he's making emphasis. That's one way they would, they would do it. The other way that it was done is by location in the Greek sentence. The primary location of emphasis is guess where? In the very beginning. The other area of, the other place of emphasis was guess where? At the very end. Those were the two places, the two locations in the verse where emphasis was being made. 
The first word in the Greek text is not what you've got in your English ones. The first word in the opening of Romans chapter 15, verse 1. Actually, it's, it's not that. It's, it's, in the, it's in the first person plural. That's what this ending is. But that's the root of the word. Ophilo. Ophilo. And when Paul opens up this section, well, actually, when this chapter opens up, it opens up with Ophilo. If you want to know what Paul said, he said something like this. Obligation is what we have to the weaker brethren, you strong people. Obligation. Now, guys, the, the, the word of Philo is a, is a word that really is most easily and most often translated I.O. I.O. The word that I want to use as a synonym, but is not a translation of this word, but is a, is a very accurate synonym, is the word duty. Guys, the reason I bring this up is because, I mean, this, this is a, this is not done, or, or my motive is not to, is to stuff your little beautiful brains with another little theological ditty. But this is important in the expression of love for Jesus Christ. And, and here's what I mean. Gang, here at Grace of Ann, and I think you're coming to know this. I think if you've been around here a while, you know this. You know that this is an agency, this is an institution that emphasizes grace. It's very important to us. And I have made huge, nasty comments about my willingness to fight for your freedom in Christ Jesus. You know, I've told you stories about my three daughters and, and, uh, you know, and, and I've said, leave them alone. You know, don't you impose all of your silliness. You want your to live silly, you go live silly, but don't impose your silliness on my children, okay? Leave them alone. You know, I, I've said that again, again, dozens and dozens and dozens of times. Because I love not only a gospel that says you're saved by sovereign grace alone. In addition to that, I love a Christian life that is lived in grace alone. There's where the problems arise. Because, ladies and gentlemen, and, and, uh, uh, and by the way, I, I, I had prepared this weeks ago back in the heat of the summer. And I was off last week, and I was, I was reading this book. And there was some stuff in here, and I thought, this has got to be discussed. It's got to be mentioned. First of all, let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, this is an excellent book. It's an excellent book. Please do not hear me say, don't read. This is Jerry Bridges, Transforming Grace. 
If you've not gotten it, you ought to get it. You ought to read it. It's a good book. It's, it's really, really, really good. <laughs> I mean, it is. I, I'm not trying to. But this author, who many of you remember, wrote this. <laughs> you remember this? This was, this was the first book that Jerry Bridges published in 1978, The Pursuit of Holiness, and it sold millions. This he wrote in 2008. And I want to read you just a little snatch from it because I want to show you the struggle which this relates to. <laughs> Have I lost you yet? Um, can I read you this? I mean, I, I know you hate to be read to, but it's not long. We are not only justified by grace through faith. We stand every day in this same grace. Yay! Absolutely. And just as the preaching of justification by grace is open to misunderstanding, it is. So is the teaching. It, oh, let me, let me, let me back up and say that again. Just as the preaching of justification by grace is open to misunderstanding, so is the teaching of living by grace. It's open to misunderstanding. The solution to this problem is not to add legalism to grace. Amen. Don't you add all that don't do's, do do's. Don't you add all that stuff. Rather, the solution is to be so gripped by the magnificence and boundless generosity of God's grace that we respond out of gratitude rather than out of a sense of Duty. <laughs> Hold on. As Steve Brown, pastor of Key Biscayne Presbyterian Church in Miami, Florida, he hadn't been there in years. I don't know why. Um, Steve Brown left Key Biscayne 15 years ago. But anyway, uh, he's, and he's quoting Steve, and he says, the problem isn't that we made the gospel too good. The problem is that we didn't make it good enough. I love that. I love that. Now, Here's where things begin to go afield. We have loaded down the gospel of the grace of God in Christ with a lot of oughts. I ought to do this. And I ought to do that. I ought to be more committed, more disciplined, more obedient. When we think or teach this way, we are substituting duty and obligation for a loving response to God's grace. Now, do you see my dilemma? I don't agree with that sentence. Because, ladies and gentlemen, there are some obligations. There are some duties. Now, he makes a wonderful sentence in here when he says, um, um, uh, in fact, he, in fact, he, he tried to clear, he tries to clear it up himself. Um, I am committed to seek, to act in love toward everyone, but I am committed in these areas of a grateful response to God's grace, not to try to earn God's blessing. Ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. If you are going to submit to any kind of obedience, any kind of ought, any kind of obligation as a Christian, and you are doing so in the hope that you're gonna, you're gonna, how does he say it, earn God's blessing, 
You missed it. You missed it bad. You know, and I'm telling you, many of you pray like that. Well, I don't know why I didn't get asked to the prom. I mean, <laughs> I sure prayed about it. I mean, after I prayed about it, and and, and he's supposed to do something. You know, I don't know why I didn't get that job. I mean, uh, I prayed and I had everybody. I mean, I prayed and prayed and prayed. And I still didn't get the job. Because, you know, God is supposed to bless me when I'm being a good boy. That, ladies and gentlemen, is so perverted. It is so ugly. It is so mismotivated. It is so misguided. But for you then to come to the conclusion that there are no duties, no obligations, that there is nothing that you owe, is to miss it on the other end of the spectrum. And that's why I wanted to draw your attention to this word. Now, gang, Listen, you got to get this straight. If you perform your acts of duty and obligation in a way that you are thinking that you are going to put God in your debt and He owes you blessing, I feel sorry for you. You're going to have, have nothing but disappointment because He's not going to come through Because you twisted his arm to do so. Having said that, there are significant obligations under which you and I live as a Christian, as as lovers of Jesus Christ. Obligations. There's one right there. That's what brought this up, guys. I, I come to this word and I... And so here I want to be this, this, this outstanding teacher of grace. I do. I want you to live like that. But I don't want you to come to the place where you say there's no oughts. There's no duties. There's no obligations. There's nothing I owe. Oh, yes, there is. And, and, and I've got eight minutes left, and I'm going to show you several. That's, that's how I spend my time going through Greek concordances, looking up Ophilo to find out how many times you can find it. Let me, let me show you my favorite. Page down in your telephones. I'm really getting hip, aren't I? <laughs> yeah. I don't have one of those. I keep doing this to my phone and it doesn't go anywhere. Um, I'm in Luke chapter 17 at verse 7. This is my favorite. Will any of any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he is coming from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, Jesus is speaking. So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say. We are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Guys, let me use this one. I hate to use this one because it's, it's, I mean, people get so 
squirmy when you talk about money. Consequently, I don't ever talk about it. <laughs> I don't. I, I mean, how long, Lisa, how many times have you heard me preach a sermon? On, I mean, Lisa's been here since day one, and I probably preached twice in 22 years. But let's just say for the moment, let's just say that you tithe. Whoop-de-doo. You know what you've done? Your duty. You think God owes you something? Is that why you're doing it? You see, ladies and gentlemen, in the kingdom of God, not only is the, is the right thing important, the motive to the right thing is almost as important as the right thing, if not more important. So why do you do that? Hmm? Um, I got this whole list here. Uh, how about this? Uh, Luke chapter 11. Um, I love this, this, this little story here. Uh, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and he says in verse 40, but woe to you Pharisees for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Oh, you do that, do you? Do you do that, do you? Do you do that, do you? Okay, that's great. You ought to have done that. Do you see, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ says there are some there's some oughts. And I can't get around them, ladies and gentlemen. And I can't say, in the name of grace, I'm going to go have my Bible study at Hooters. That's my favorite, you know. I, I've used that one before. I can't, I can't. Ladies and gentlemen, that's an abuse. Um... I got four minutes. Um, how about uh, Matthew 25? Matthew 25 at verse 27, uh, where Jesus again is speaking and says, Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers in it coming. Uh, I, I should have received what was my, was my own. That's in the midst of a parable. But in that, parabo- in that, that piece of parabolical uh, illustration, he says, You should have taken what I've given you in terms of the gifts that I gave. And you ought to have used them in a certain way. Yeah, guys. Grace creates an ophilo. It creates a I owe. And when I meet my obligations, I've only done my duty. And, and, and none of it. Guys, and, and this is where you've got to walk very cautiously. None of it. None of it can ever be performed in the hope that I will get something back from God. Because, ladies and gentlemen, if you sit here tonight as a is a blood-bought Christian. 
you've already got everything he's going to give you. He gave you himself. And in response to that, we can't... I'll read you one other sentence and then I'll quit. Because I just... He says, "This this was the case in my understanding of the sovereign grace of God. I had been a confirmed legalist and I dutifully sought to live the Christian life that way. I was sometimes overwhelmed with what I thought were the oughts of Christian living. But suddenly one day I understood God's grace in an entirely different way. Do you get the implication of that? Well, I used to think there were a lot of oughts, and um, and then I, I understood grace, and then I understood there was no oughts. Yes, there are. Yes, there are, ladies and gentlemen. Now, the motive behind you oughting, did you get that oughting? Um, that's, that's key. But ladies and gentlemen, as people who belong to the king of kings, there's certain behavior expected of us. Now, all that other little goofy stuff that we all added on, you know, you got to not dance and you got to, you know, all that silliness. That, 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 I agree with Mr. Bridges, needs to be thrown as... But, gang, I'm going to spend maybe two weeks showing you one of the obligations of belonging to Jesus Christ. We'll look at it next week. Our Father, I I do pray that you'll help us live that balance because it is a tricky one. And would you... um, would you call us up short when we're, when we're misusing this beautiful thing known as grace? Would you, um, would you guard us from going too far with a sense of duty? Or would you give us this gospel balance, which is so, so difficult for us all? that we live out our lives as expressions of gratitude in response to a God who has loved us and saved us in Christ Jesus. And because our souls are safe, we want to see these obligations, understand them, and do them. Not because they are in any way meritorious, but because they just... The Bible has given us ways to express our love for you by meeting some of our obligations. Help us in that, O God, for Jesus' sake. Amen.